Welcome to a brand new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. It's so shiny. <laughs> and yes, we are back. We got the band back together. <laughs> this uh, for the monthly installment of the weekly this podcast. This is not the cruise ship that I was told I would be playing on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Are you tired of hearing us say, hey, we got the band back together? <laughs> this is the 17th reunion tour? Yeah, that's right. Oh, man. But uh, I've missed this. It's been such a challenge. been so many things going on for all of us. Yeah. Uh, Newton, the real estate tycoon, tied up in, tied <laughs> up in huge meetings and making massive commitments. And ma- taking on massive debt. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But 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 uh, when is the new climbing gym, Jim? When do, when do you yeah. think it's gonna um, live? So I guess like the announcement to the listeners because it's been hinted at, but it's always Nate says something. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we we are in the process of actually officially opening a second location for my climbing gym, and um, man, our target date is hopefully mid July to mid August. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what I we're going to talk a little bit about the fire hose of disclosure later. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what I thought was the fire hose as we were getting into it has now turned into like full on drinking from the fire hydrant. Um, I am now a full time project manager, full time climbing gym owner, uh-huh. um, full time dad, and part time sleeper. Oh, <laughs> um, so yeah. it's a lot to do, but it's it's a lot of fun. Um, you guys are having to like rehab, a, repurpose a building. Yeah, we're we're kind of rehabbing a building. Um, luckily, it's mostly empty in the middle. Uh-huh. Um, but we're you know tearing out bathrooms and locker rooms and yeah, um, just do, doing that. Um, but I didn't realize yeah. this is going to be a second location. It's not like you're closing down. No, we're not going to close the, the one crag, we've got the first crack. Yeah, we're we're opening a second one. Um, you know, we th- we think it's. Not to get everybody into the weeds of business, but yeah. we think that Nashville's underserved okay. um, in terms of you know what's offered. Yeah, and so we think that it'll support support a second one, and we're really excited well, about it. I'm always looking for another place to climb a wall. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're we're really excited. It's um, it, it's funny. I talk to my my Silas regularly as we as we are called to do. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, I've told him a number of times over the last couple of weeks, like every time I feel like I'm operating at the edge of capability for me Mm -hmm. and it is scary. Yeah. um, But it's really good because every time I think I can't do this, I either can, Mm -hmm. like I'm capable of learning. Yes. um, Or I'm capable of asking for help. Oh wow! And both those things are really great work for me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Re- rewriting, you know, the story I tell myself informs how I see the world, and I'm rewriting that story of how I see myself. Yeah. By saying, "Oh yeah, I am a little more capable than I thought," or I can ask for help and get help. Yeah. I'm yeah. not. I'm not hurting for help. I'm not helpless. Yes. Um. So it's it's really cool, and you know. By by God's grace of recovery, I get to see this through that lens. Oh, it's um, beautiful. So yeah, it's it's really exciting. It's beautiful. It's something yeah. we don't talk a lot about is how recovery impacts us in our work life. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the the change I've seen in my yeah. Life. Well, just for, for me, transformation. Yeah, just yeah. keeping my head up. Yeah, you know, lets me be present and doing my work. Lets me be present to see like, oh wow. I handle this entirely differently than I would have 10 years ago. Sure. 
Or, oh, I do have a resource here. Yeah. You know, like I can, you know, apply the steps to work. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's not meant to be, recovery is not meant to be this insular thing that just deals with how I handle my penis. Right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It's, it's how I arrange and handle my world. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been great for me. Oh, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. <coughs> well, I'm excited for you. I'm proud of you. Um, Thanks. Yeah. If you'd like to donate money, you can send it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, What's going on with you? Well, I, I am back from, um, from a week's vacation. So I, oh yeah, yeah. I so, saw pictures. So I am recovering from the vacation. <laughs> it was a family vacation. So we t- we had kids and grandkids on Amelia Island in Florida. Yeah, yeah. And did all- you take your laptop with you? I did take my laptop, uh, and my laptop is it, it, yeah, it's a, it's wonderful now. My laptop went screwy on me, and the keyboard on the laptop no longer works the top line of keys no longer works which means i can't type on the laptop creative typing yeah Uh, but it still responds to an external keyboard okay Uh, now i can't really take the laptop and an external keyboard to the pool or the beach or it pretty much has to stay in my office at the house yeah and I had developed, I mean, I was, uh, we addicts drift from compulsion to compulsion. <laughs> and I think it's accurate to say that Nate Larkin also has a workaholism problem. Yeah, it's another way to escape. I'm raising my hand. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but now a kink has been thrown into that acting out in that I cannot take my, la- I couldn't work on the plane. I always work on the plane. Yeah. I couldn't work in the terminal. I couldn't work at the beach. Yeah. Um, I could work in the room, but I couldn't stay in the room all day. I've got kids and grandkids. But when I was with them this week, they had my attention. Cool. Pretty good development, which, you know, I'm still trying to fix. Uh, I still would like to be able to get the laptop functioning in such a way. What Nate's not disclosing is that he went to see family, family being his son and daughter-in-law, yeah. who also work for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I took the other daughter who also works for Oh, who me. also, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so a work meeting that's not a work meeting, <laughs> a non-working work vacation, yeah, yeah. Committee, committee meeting. Uh, but it was wonderful we've got seven grandkids now and uh, this was my first time seeing the youngest is it really sweet little girl since she was born a year ago huh and uh what a bright uh, she's she's pretty awesome right she is fantastic yeah and uh little charlie the four-year-old just a brilliant little guy so yeah we had a great time if you ever need listeners if you ever need to know how to pronounce the name of a dinosaur (laughs) Charlie Larkin's your guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The more syllables, the better. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 yeah I, uh, he has dinosaur books and uh, <coughs> he wants to, he always wants you to read a dinosaur book to him. So he, he dragged one of the books over and we sat down on the couch. He's four years old. And, uh, and we, you know, we opened it up and I, I just kind of opened toward the middle. <laughs> and he said, you know, something like, well, that's in the Mesolithic age. Let's start the subcretaceous or whatever that, whatever the hell it was he said. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anything oh, else, wow. Professor Larkin? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I am so excited. We have lined up a terrific guest for this show. Uh, it's a conversation I think that's long overdue. We talk to a, um, a lot of addicts, but we don't talk to a lot of people married to addicts. And that's what we're going to do. And not just any woman married to an addict, but uh, a highly educated, highly trained, highly experienced, and very articulate woman. You'll meet her when we come back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, the spring blooming edition with allergens everywhere, <laughs> floating down on cars and turning them green here in Middle Tennessee. And we're grateful that we're speaking with someone uh, who uh, doesn't have the same climate we do and a very different time of the day. Nate, will you please introduce us to our guest? Wow, what a privilege to have Catherine or Cat Etherington with us today uh, via the worldwide interweb. Uh, Kat, you're joining us from where? I'm joining you from the northeast of England, a little place called Durham, which is just outside of Newcastle upon Tyne. I've been there. Durham! <laughs> Great cathedral at Durham. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful city. Oh, fantastic. So you're six hours ahead of us, I guess. Uh, I, I am, yeah. It's 4.13 in the afternoon here. And you're a mom. You've got a couple of kids at home, right? I do. I have two daughters aged 14, actually, just recently 14 and 11. Oh, my. Okay. And so it's got to be getting close to dinner time over there. Yeah, we've got some hungry mouths uh, in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for fitting us in. I'll tell you, listeners, why I really wanted to talk to Kat. Uh, Kat uh, is the mastermind behind a a coaching ministry for the spouses, actually for women whose husbands uh, uh, betrayed them by wandering into illicit sexual behavior. And uh, since I am one of those husbands and uh, has spent spent 18 years uh, trying to understand and make amends and um, help my wife rebuild her life after news of the betrayal, Uh, I was so thrilled to learn that there is an experienced coach who uh, is helping hundreds of women uh, negotiate this difficult terrain. How did you happen into this ministry, Kat? Well, you know, that's one of those stories that happens by accident, Nate. Um, So I was kind of in a place where I just discovered that my husband had issues with porn and sex addiction. And one of the the most difficult experiences that I had in that journey was trying to find a professional that I could trust to Mm. walk this journey with me. Um, And actually, you don't have to look very far to see all sorts of um, horror stories on the internet about kind of 
bad experiences that people have had in the offices of therapists and other helping professionals so oh. I was really scared of working with somebody and once I'd gotten established in my healing I thought you know actually there must be something that I can do to change this so I've met some coaches through some online communities so there are uh, there is actually a community uh, a coaching community mostly based out of the US that I'd um, interacted with and I'd become really inspired by the work that they were doing and, and nothing like that really exists here in the UK so that was the start of deciding to, to put my skills that I already had into this particular vocation. Now you uh, you kind of came upon this uh, you know you were hit by this train happened in uh, uh, by surprise brought into this ministry you already had some background in recovery right? Absolutely. So I've been in recovery from my own substance abuse issues for a decade now. Mm. So, um, and I think that's been a bit of a double-edged sword for me because certainly when I think about my husband's issues, it's given me a very different insight into that and has certainly aided us on our journey to healing. Um, but it's also given me a real insight into the behaviours that come along with that. And I've walked alongside many women as they've sought their own recovery from substance abuse. And so the, the skills that I developed there were really transferable into the coaching work that I do now. And you've also worked in the, in the corporate world, haven't you, as a trainer? I have, yeah. So I do um, corporate training and corporate coaching, leadership training and that kind of stuff too, which is a lot of that has been based around psychology and, and some really sound psychological principles. So that's really equipped me well for, for this, um, this ministry. And isn't it strange how all of those disparate experiences kind of coalesced at the right <laughs> moment? Uh, do you suspect there might have been a higher power orchestrating all of this? You know, it's funny you mention that because um, I actually became a Christian in recovery myself and um, my husband and I met very early on that journey and he became um, converted as part of that whole kind of beautiful spiritual experience that we were having at the start of recovery because my husband's also in recovery from alcoholism and we met through mm -hmm. that community. Yeah. Um, and, and somebody once prophesied over me a word that I would be like a mama bird feeding other women and um, and this would seem to be the fulfillment of that word of prophecy from maybe six seven eight years ago so yeah it's definitely a, a providential thing fantastic so i want to make sure that i got the, that i got the timeline right if i heard you right um you were in recovery before you were married or after you were married before I was married. So actually by one of those bizarre twists of fate, this is my second relationship in my own recovery and my second relationship in recovery with a man with sexual integrity issues. So um, make of that what you will. <laughs> that's, I just, <clears throat> that's, that's interesting just that how, how that weave has woven, weaved? Woven. I'm, I'm good with English today. Um, <laughs> work, worked itself through. Um, so I just, that's such an interesting, imagine an interesting dynamic in your relationship and um it just informs your relationship with your husband i just want to make sure i that i heard that right okay <laughs> well um i want to dive right in and and ask you a few questions as if i may kat i'm i'm uh i'm well aware we have a great many women who listen to this podcast who find themselves in a in a similar boat 
And if I could say, they need to contact us too. You can email us, you can Facebook us, you can make comments on the website because we want to hear from you too. Yeah, yeah. So many of us uh, pirate monks are married and, and we, we love our wives and want to serve them and love them well. So don't, don't be afraid to reach out to us as well. Right, exactly. And I'm going to ask a few questions here. Uh, but I, listeners, uh, when you have a question for Kat, obviously, uh, this is not a live broadcast. Uh, at the end of the podcast, we'll remind you the email address. Send your question in. I'm going to ask, I'm going to put you on the spot right now, Kat. Can we have you on for a follow-up appearance somewhere down the line? I would love to do that. I think particularly for wives, there's not enough conversation happening. So, you know, if, if wives want to email in questions, I'd be really happy to come back and answer some of those at another time. Okay, wonderful, <clears throat> wonderful. The, the Pirate Monk Podcast, Girl Skate Edition. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a girl power takeover. There you go. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. I... I I do know that no two marriages are identical. No two relationships are alike because no two people are alike. But I'm wondering, now that you have been in this field for a while, interacted with so many people, are you seeing certain types or categories of relationships? And if so, is there one type that has a better prospect of recovery than others? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting question. And I think when I was reflecting on that question before coming on to join you today, I was thinking that, you know, addiction, we know that addiction doesn't hold any prejudice. You know, I have met people who are addicted to anything ranging from kind of, you know, course officials down to your more stereotypical street drunks and, and everybody in between. So we know that addiction doesn't bear any prejudice. But I would say, particularly in this issue, I have met couples from all different backgrounds and, um, you know, couples of faith and couples of no faith, couples uh, who are older and then couples who are just starting out. Um, you know, people of all different backgrounds are affected by this particular type of addiction. And I think that's probably because it's so accessible. It's mm. free for the most part when you think about the availability of internet pornography. And it's much easier to hide than some other addictions. So if you live with an alcoholic, you tend to be able to pick up the signs of that, right? Yeah. So right. I, I definitely don't see a stereotypical fully addicted couple. Yeah, that, that doesn't exist as far as I can see. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is kind of the first thing that you find yourself saying typically to some uh, wife who's just been hit by the train, just gotten the news of a betrayal that she had not suspected? Well, the very, very first thing that I would do with any betrayed spouse is to let her know that what she's feeling is normal and that it's valid. I think as partners, we sometimes feel really alone in this, like nobody gets it, nobody understands. And I mentioned my own feelings around that when I first discovered what was happening in my marriage. So it's a huge, huge relief for women to hear that it's not weird and it's not wrong to have a reaction to this issue in their relationship. Mm. And I think when you consider the way that society views sexuality, we can definitely feel like that. We feel like maybe there's something wrong with us, like maybe we're just being a bit prudish or, you know, that somehow we have to find a way to accept this. And I, I really um, 
work hard for women to understand that it's normal, it's valid, and they, that it's okay to not be okay with this stuff going on in their marriage. The other thing that I would say there is, um, so I've got specialist training with the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, which is known more locally as APSATS, which is an organisation that trains professionals to work with betrayed women. Mm. And they talk very clearly about the first stage of healing from betrayal trauma being that of safety and stabilisation. So when I work with a woman, it's always based on that to begin with so we're looking at things like sexual health screenings is she physically safe whether he says that he slept with another person or not is she physically safe and can she be sure of that we'd look at finding safe people that she could lean on for support does she have community that she can you know lean into and is she even just able to take those first basic elements of self-care is she sleeping is she eating Mm. are there kids there who need support and looking after you know that kind of thing would be the first steps into healing for a woman oh my that sounds my i guess my experience is very limited but that sounds so much more comprehensive and what i will call victim first Mm -hmm. victim caring than how i think the church and society in general in the states treats that yeah does that yeah, sound yeah, right to you yeah, Nate? yeah 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 i yeah i would say i mean the church and like we it's, i mean the church is very diverse of course but sure. the evangelical churches that i was raised in uh are not comfortable around the topic panic want to mm-hmm. cover it up quickly uh we'll right. go very quickly to let's resolve this as fast as we can how can we get you to how can we get him to repentance Mm-hmm. And how can we get her to forgiveness as quickly as possible? What's the express version of recovery? Yeah. Which... Uh, it's not like, even as you say that, it sounds like it ignores the the woman and continues to just take the train right over the top of her. Yeah. What's and your perspective on that, yeah. Kat? I think that's a really interesting um, conversation. And I think you're right. I think um, that... And actually, it occurred to me recently when I was talking to a couple and they were telling me about the response of their church. And, you know, it wasn't a a perfect response and there was things that I would have wanted to change about it. But when I reflected on that, I had this realisation that, you know, most churches don't know how to deal with this issue. And actually, why would they? Why would they know how to deal with this secret that has just been blown up? out of nowhere you know as, as wives we don't know how to do that as addicts most people don't know how to do that so the expectation on the church is is actually quite a large one however there are definitely things that that are kind of basics to avoid I guess and pushing a woman into forgiveness too soon is one of those things one of the most important things that I learned through some of the training that I did is that the symptoms of betrayal trauma are uh, almost a mirror image of those experienced by a rape victim Mm. and that's a really piercing piece of information right and what I have never heard anybody from a church saying you know I don't know every church and I don't know every victim, um, but I've very rarely heard stories of rape vic- victims being pushed to forgive their rapist the right. week after she's been raped. Whereas I do hear stories about women being pushed to forgive their husbands the week after they've been run over by that train. Mm-hmm. And you said they're very similar to what a rape victim experiences. Walk us through that. What are some of those emotions and responses that are common between 
women who've been sexually betrayed in marriage and, and rape victims? Yeah, um, so they're very similar equally to um, any of the symptoms experienced in post-traumatic stress disorder. So you've got the kind of hypervigilance, the constant state of red alert, looking out for danger. So when you see those behaviours like um, you know, checking the internet history obsessively, wanting to look up on your phone to see what you've been looking at, those behaviours are driven out of a need to find some safety. Is it going to happen again? So in the same way that um, you know, a veteran might jump into a bush when they hear a car backfire, that's our way of, of trying to test the reality to see, are we safe? Is this thing going to happen again? And you would see the same kind of hypervigilance in the victim of a rape who maybe didn't, did, doesn't want to walk alone at night because they don't feel safe. So that's kind of one example. The other examples are just this overwhelming wave of emotions that we aren't prepared for and aren't expecting. So you're going to see sadness, you're going to see grief. One of the things that you will see coming out quite strongly often is the anger and that can cause women to act out in ways that are not characteristic for them. So women come to me and they tell me, you know, I beat him. I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and quite consistently what I hear from women is like, I don't know who I am in the midst of all of this emotion. I'm behaving in ways that aren't who I am, who I don't want to be, but I'm just so overwhelmed with this emotion. Mm. Mm. And uh, I don't know how empathetic the average addict can be. I do know that in my in the early days of my recovery, my wife, in her more tearful and angry moments, several times said, "You have no idea what I'm going through." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I found even the conversations about uh, my acting out and its impact upon her, those were very difficult conversations. I, I didn't know how to go there, didn't want to go there especially. Can you talk about that a little bit? What do you see uh, as you work with couples kind of on the, on the, on the addict side? And we're, 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 I understand that in this dynamic, these days, it's not always the husband who's the one who's uh, uh, been unfaithful. Uh, it's, but let's, for purposes of this discussion, let's yeah. say it's the husband who's the addict. What do you see on that side? What is the addict struggling with in the, those days and weeks immediately following discovery or disclosure? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And I don't think anybody gives the addicts enough information about what they can expect from the spouse so that they're mm-hmm. in the slightest bit prepared for what is to come. Um, so I think it's great to have an opportunity to talk about that. And I guess what I would say is that I only work with women, so I can only address that that mm-hmm. dynamic. Um, I know that there's a couple of things for us that, that stood out in early recovery with my husband and I. And the first that he got really really wrong was this idea that by not telling me the truth he would somehow protect me Mm -hmm. right so um we had quite a long time of these dribbled staggered disclosures where i thought i'd got the truth i was just starting to get back to my feet and then something else would come along because oh he just remembered this piece of information or now that he'd gained a bit more of conscious awareness he was going to share this other thing with me and so that's a hugely hugely painful process to go through it prolongs the trauma unnecessarily and and 
I think it's driven from this place of shame, the same way as the empathy stuff is. You know, the reason you don't want to sit in that conversation with your wife's pain is because it triggers the shame that you experience because of the fact that you caused that, right? So, of course, it makes sense that you don't want to do that. And yet there's nothing that she needs more from you than to tell her the whole truth and to sit with her in the pain not trying to fix it not trying to take it away but just to take responsibility for it and to let her know that you knew you know that you caused that should that disclosure be done with a third party present if you're going to go for like a full disclosure then absolutely i would say that not only needs to be done with a third party but actually needs to be done under the care of a professional Mm-hmm. Um, because there's lots of dynamics to be considered in that. I think one of the, the mistakes that historically has been made is that an addict has been encouraged to make the disclosure because it frees them from some of the shame. Sure, yeah. It's fine. And, and, you know, we want you to be free of shame because then you can recover, which means that we have a chance of relational recovery. Right. However, the, the process of disclosure, when you're talking about all of the acting out behavior and in lots of cases the whole sexual history of this person who you who i love you know that's that can be hugely hugely traumatic for the partner and it really should be managed by a well-trained professional a therapist actually Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well and i think that's one of the things that i've run into with with men i've met is that uh when they when they get to the point of I can't live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. They, um, and they, they feel this drive to disclosure. Um, they disclose without wisdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met a gentleman this week who is dealing with the fallout of disclosure to his wife. Uh, and it, it could have, it, a lot of the pain and suffering could have been avoided had he sought some more counsel before he did it. Uh, and I've heard story and story and story after in our group, and I'm grateful for Nate for uh, for talking to men the way he has to encourage them to uh, hold on, mm-hmm. get with yeah. someone, walk this through, walk this through the counselor, make sure it's there, and then take care of this. And one of my dearest friends took your advice, Nate, and seeing the health of their relationship at such a short amount of months mm-hmm. following disclosure, and his disclosure was severe. Mm-hmm. Um, is a testament to learning how to disclose with wisdom. Mm-hmm. But I think in either case, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm all wet. I mean, I'm just a, I'm just a journalism guy. <laughs> maybe I'm all wet. I don't know anything, but it seems to me that, that any disclosure is better than none, that it's still better to disclose and get the information out in the open. Um, you, know, you know, for a guy to hear this broadcast in, and before we want you to move forward with wisdom, but disclosing in one way, shape, or form gets you on the right path. Am I all wet? What's your input on that, Kat? I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think, you know, from the addict's perspective, there's there's a few ways that you can do disclosure. So, you know, you can do disclosure man to man. If you just if it's if what we're we're aiming for in that is to release the shame, yes. then great, you can do that man to man. And you should do that man to man and that will be a very different experience to the exclude to the disclosure that you would give to your wife and and the reason that I would suggest having that managed by a professional is a lot to do with his capacity for empathy mm-hmm. and his ability to 
twist the truth and to blame and minimize and deny. And that's the danger in the disclosure between a husband and a wife is that um, the way that that is presented can be more harmful if it's not managed well. So, you know, as an addict in very, very early recovery, you can't help but make it someone else's fault. Mm -hmm. You know, I experienced that in my own recovery, because if I have to own all of this stuff, then, you know, the implications of what kind of person that must mean that I am are huge. So the kind of default position of an addict is to say, well, you know, yeah, I did do that stuff, but it happened because you weren't being sexual with me at the time, or it happened because of this circumstance or of that circumstance. And actually what the partner needs is a full admission of responsibility for the behavior, regardless of all of those other circumstances. So what a therapist would do in a, in a facilitated disclosure between a husband and wife is kind of coach the, the partner, the wife, how to respond, but coach the addict around how to present that information without blaming, without kind of avoiding responsibility, without minimizing, and just kind of very, very factual information. I did some training with the American Association of Sex Addiction Therapy and and they describe it as the difference between a rip and a surgical cut. So both of them are going to hurt, but one of them is going to be easier to clean up and easier to heal from than the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what what I hear you saying is like during disclosure that the person disclosing should stick to data and not story. Right. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is what I've done. These are the facts. Not this is what I did, but I did it because of this and this and this and this and this. Well, I'm used to my job in this world is really fishing people out of the soup. So I get to (laughs) I get to I get to talk to a lot of guys right after they've been caught. Right. Mm -hmm. And everybody proceeds, as I'm sure I did, uh, the confession with a long story that puts it all in context. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know, I mean, I, I don't know what your experience is, Kat, but it seems like for men that I've talked to and in my own story, I mean, I'll be damned if I was going to tell my wife what I was up to. Yeah. You know, I was not about to disclose. I was discovered. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not that I went to Brooke and said, sweetie, sit down. I've got to talk to you. Yeah. You know, there was banging on the door and a three o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, air quotes, conversation. Yeah. And my reaction was to try to just get it over with as fast as possible. Right. And so, yeah, um, well, there's not a question in that. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right though. And I think that's, that's part of the dynamic is that it's incredibly rare and it does happen, but it's incredibly rare that, the guy decides that he's going to come clean. It does happen. And I think it's happening more and more now that the issue is getting a little bit more airtime and people are getting opportunities, um, particularly in churches when they sit under a sermon and they're invited to confess. And maybe that's where that opens up. But generally speaking, it's the wife found something. She found something on the internet history. She found something in the wallet. She found something somewhere that caused her to start asking questions and that's where this process of prolonged agony comes in when he just wants to get the conversation over and done with so he gives her enough information to satisfy her curiosity at that point and then later on comes more and more and more yeah i can i can patch a hole in the drywall 
Mm-hmm. I, I can't rebuild my entire house. Mm-hmm. And but, so when you start to talk about the relational aspect of this, I think it's important to recognize that really there are three things happening in a recovering marriage. There is him over there doing his stuff. He's getting accountable. He's going to group. He's getting help for some of his issues. He's getting, you know, empathy help from his peers and from specialists and all of that stuff. And she's over there doing her healing work. But then there's still this thing in the middle this relationship and and often that's the bit that gets neglected he goes over there and does his stuff she goes over there and does hers but nobody's doing anything in the middle and and the relational recovery piece is really really key to long-lasting recovery and a successful sustainable marriage right so Mm. doing that stuff in the middle and the disclosure is really a big part of that in as much as it's his commitment to giving her the whole truth And I think what I would say about that, one of the things I repeatedly said to my husband was, you know, how do I heal when I don't know what I'm healing from? So until I have the whole truth, my chances of healing are pretty slim in actual fact, because what I'm healing from isn't even the full picture. And actually what happens is, as you compound the trauma, as a new thing comes up, you actually put me right back to the start of that journey. So no matter how much work I make in the interim, if in five years time I find out another piece of information, then that just puts me right back to the beginning. And what that tells me as a wife is that you've been a liar for the whole time. Whether it's a tiny piece of information or whether it's a huge piece of information, that destroys all of that five years of progress for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a sobering reality. I need to sit with that. I really yeah. do. I, I like, and I don't know that I've just, maybe I haven't been presented with it before, but a marriage in recovery, like that phrase that you used. I mean, I've thought about the addict. I've thought about, I guess in AA terms, Al-Anon or yeah. the Anon. Yeah. I've never really thought about the gap in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I at least probably out of ignorance assumed that, oh, if, if I'm doing my stuff and my wife is doing her stuff, that the stuff in the middle works itself out. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to I need to do my stuff she needs to do her stuff and we need to do our stuff right right hey Kat would you talk to us a little bit about the co-addict model and uh, what I believe can be its shortcomings Sure, I'd love to do that based on the fact that I'm a wholehearted advocate for the trauma approach versus the co-addict approach. And, you know, codependency is a term that gets thrown around a lot in today's society and particularly in addiction fields. Right. So I came across that term when I was in my my own recovery before I knew anything about the issues surrounding porn and sex addiction. Mm -hmm. I think what what I would say about excuse me about the co-addict model is the way that it's misused and it misrepresents women. So the co-addict model would take all of that stuff that I've already talked about, which I've described as responses to trauma, and it would label them as some kind of disease that the wife is suffering from herself. Mm-hmm. And I think the implications of that, and, and so some of the, the terminology talks about, you know, attracting these kind of guys into our lives. It talks about, you know, it almost being an inevitable conclusion that a sick person like me would end up with a sick person like him. And, and I just don't think that holds true in this particular dynamic because most women just didn't know. They just didn't know on any level what they were marrying into. You know, it's not like 
when you went on a first date, they said, oh, by the way, here's all of my secretive behavior mm -hmm. and gave us a choice, right? And if right. they had, most of us wouldn't be married now, certainly not right. to the men that we're married to. So, so I just don't think it holds water on, on that basis. And I think what's really harmful potentially about that is that lots of women that I meet tell me that their husbands have come home from their therapy sessions and they've been told that your wife is a co-addict, your wife is sick, you need to stop moaning about your behavior and focus on her own issues. And actually, it totally negates that bit in the middle where actually what I'm experiencing is a response to what you are doing. And it can shift responsibility from him to me. And I become an add on to his recovery. And my purpose in that whole dynamic is to support him. When in actual fact, what's happening is that I've been shot and I'm laying on the floor bleeding. And, you know, I'm being encouraged to support the shooter. It just doesn't make sense to me. Wow. Wow. I agree. I do agree. Although I was, you know, I bought that approach. Uh, not to say that there's no truth at all to the co-addiction model. Right. But I, I, I kind of loved it when they told me that my wife is as sick as I am. And uh, the proof that she's sick is that she married me. And uh, so she needs to just focus on herself. And I think I would have been more empathetic to Allie's uh, process if I had not been given that message. Yeah. Nate, if you don't mind, I think I'd like to just be really clear on what it is that I'm saying, because I think what I would add to what I've said is that there are codependent traits in many women who are yes. married to sex addicts. So, you know, codependency as a whole concept, I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if women want to explore that, then I will walk beside them as they do that. I think it's the terminology and the labeling of us as being um, sick and suffering from a disease that I, that I really struggle with. And, and when you talk about your wife there, I would ask her the question, you know, if when you sat down with Nate on your first date, he disclosed all of his, I mean, you, you weren't that wasn't happening for you on the first date, but if at the point that it started to happen, you disclosed that to her, would mm -hmm. she have run a mile, you know? And I just, and when you think about the dynamic there, that this for you guys occurred so much later into your marriage, how could she possibly have known that that was going to be a thing when right. she entered the relationship with you in the first place? So codependency has, you know, has some value. Uh, the co-addict model is, is less, um, less kind of applicable in this particular instance. I ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Good. Thanks for that clarification. Well, Kat, I wish we could talk for hours. I'm going to uh, hold you. <laughs> to the uh, promise that I extracted from you uh, a few minutes ago that you will talk to us again. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, also uh, convey my thanks to your family for allowing you to uh, take time with us at dinner time. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, what contact information? I, I love your, your, your blog, which is fullcirclecoaching.uk. Uh, any other resources that you would direct um, our listeners to as they kind of sit with what they've heard you say? Yeah, thank you for asking that because um, it's always good to kind of offer some resources. In terms of how to understand what the partner is experiencing, my top recommendation is the book Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, which is written by Marsha Means and Barbara mm -hmm. Steffens. 
Now, Barbara Steffens is the founder of the association that I mentioned earlier, APSAPS, which is the only organization that exists to serve only the partners affected by this issue. So that's my top recommendation. I also love, for the more Christian perspective, a book called Beyond Betrayal, which is written by Lisa Taylor, um, who is a Christian wife and um, who is healed from her own issues around sex addiction in her marriage. So those would be my, my kind of book recommendations. Here in the UK, um, I do some work with a, a charitable organisation called the Naked Truth Project that are looking to support both the addict and the partner. So there's some resources there um, and lots and lots more resources that, that I could mention. Um, and I know that in the US, you've got some, some great resources out there. I've also written some blogs for the Huffington Post, which um, might be helpful to have a look at. They explain some of the basics of what happens with this issue. Um, but the bulk of my work is, is available through my own website, which is www.fullcirclecoaching.uk. And there's a contact form there. So please get in touch. What I would say about coaching, one of the things I love about coaching is that I'm not bound by kind of uh, you know, country or state lines or any of the things that prevent therapists from working with people across the borders, so to speak. So, um, so I do coach with women from all over the world. So I'd be very, very happy to hear from anybody from uh, countries outside of the UK. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Kat. Uh, what a great conversation. Uh, I thank God for you. Uh, I, and I'm so grateful that you have seen in your life what so many of us have seen in ours, that the thing that the enemy intended for evil. God. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank night. you so much, Kat. Bye. Thank you. We are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. Uh, that was that was a great conversation with Kat. I really enjoyed her perspective, yeah. um, her accent. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I could I could listen. She to her. sounds so smart, right? Just with that British accent, right? Well, it's yeah. not hard to sound smarter than me. <laughs> and she's English, yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was great. Um, I want to encourage uh, you guys, our our men that that listen. Um, if your wives are involved in your recovery, I think this is a great opportunity to invite, to invite your wife into further into your recovery. Um, share this episode with your spouses. Um, let them let them have a listen. Let them experience and and hear what Cat had to say. And then let your let your wives let your spouses encourage them. Don't let they don't need your permission, um, but encourage them to email us so that they can have their voice is heard so that we can get feedback from wives, not yeah. feedback from husbands. You know, that's not what we're looking for here. Um, and then, you know, wives, if you're listening, please email us. Um, we yeah. would love, we would love to get your feedback on this. Um, 
we've got Kat committed to do another episode with us. Yeah. And and we would love to hear what you have to say. We're three dudes sitting in a room that have never been on that side of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you ladies have, you you women have. Um, we need your voices in this. Yeah. Um, I need your voice in this. So please, um, men, share this with your spouses. Ladies, if you're listening, um, please please email us uh, and let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you'd like us to, to ask Kat or what you'd like to ask Kat. All right, yeah. And that email address is piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also leave comments on the website, piratemonkpodcast.com. On our Facebook page, just search for Pirate Monk Podcast when you log in again. Uh, you can, there's also a way that you can leave a voice message for us on our website. If you go to piratemonkpodcast.com and scroll down to the bottom of any page, you'll see a way that you can leave an audio message for us. And as Newton mentioned on our last episode, you can leave a voice memo, create a voice memo on your Android or iPhone, and email it to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, we'll we it. might be able if to. You've, if you've heard me today, you know that you can't sound any worse <laughs> than I sound. So <laughs> let, let us hear your lovely voices on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. <laughs> Well, that's it for now. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Newton. I'm Mark. We're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh-huh. Oh, Jr., baby. Preaching recovery.